All right. Good morning. Thank you guys for letting me hang with you. This is one of my favorite churches in the world. It is. Uh, I mean that because you guys are doing, you guys have the same similar vision that we have as far as reconciliation and just uh, the church of God being a place of different colors and different cultures. I think that that's the best testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's entirely too easy for churches to congregate where people look like the other people that go there. That's a very easy thing to do. You can have a church where everyone's African-American, everyone's white, everyone's Asian. You can have that. That's very easy. But I think a church where we're cross-cultural, a church where we're coming together demonstrates really the beauty of the cross. And so you guys are doing a beautiful thing, and you, you have to know that it's a great thing that's going on in Baltimore with this church. You may not feel it a lot because you guys come here. This is your church. It's easy to, to take for granted what you're, being, you're already a part of. But you guys are doing some great stuff, and uh, I enjoy following you and following Pastor Dan on Facebook and all that. So I'm really grateful uh, that we're here. I pastor Grace International Church. I was here for Ethnos. Was anybody here for the Ethnos Conference? Uh, yeah, I got a chance to, to sit on the panel for Ethnos, and I thought it was a very beautiful um, experience. And you guys are really, really encouraging. So I want to just thank you guys for that. Also, to tell you how much I love your pastor. I love him. So I'm going to pretend like, uh, you know, because I, I could say some stuff that he can't say because he's a pastor, but I'm not, so I can say some stuff. Um, and I could say some stuff like I'm pretending like I'm at my church. But <laughs> the deal is you guys got to pray for your pastor and love him, love who God has placed here for you. This is a person that prays for you but cares for you, and he goes through a lot. I know you guys don't give him any grief, but, the, you know, people at the early service do. Um, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But uh, we don't give him any grief, but, but, but just pray for him because you, you never know kind of what, what's on his shoulders, what the weight is, and you want him to be free so that he can come and give you the gospel. So I love him dearly. Pastor Dan is a great friend of mine. He's an encourager, and uh, we all need those in our lives. So I'm very grateful to be here with you. Let's go to Ephesians, the uh, fourth chapter. I want to pre- preach Ephesians today to you. Uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Um, I love Pastor Dan. Do you love Pastor Dan? Yeah, I, I, I love him. I love him dearly. Um, I love him dearly. Um, he's doing a job of ministry here, and he's doing a great job. This, this church is wonderful. You guys are really wonderful. I think you should know that. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Let's, let's go here. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We don't have to pray because we've already prayed, but I want to just uh, start by sharing with you really a story of a young man who uh, was confined to a wheelchair, who made lots of mistakes in his life, and because of which his family had kind of abandoned him. He ran into some addiction. He ran into some issues. So his family kind of uh, left him alone, and so he was confined to a wheelchair after a while, and he stayed in one of those communities that are kind of set aside for people who kind of uh, have have those uh, those things going on, and so it was a, it was kind of a loner community, and it started to get to him so bad that what he did in order to uh, he was fearful because he was alone, he was scared. So in, in order to uh, hopefully get some connection, he actually lit his own wheelchair on fire in his home, and of course what happens is the fire department comes, the arson specialist, the arson uh, police officer comes and writes him a summons for uh, starting a fire for arson. 
he goes to court. And when he's in court, while he's there, the judge asks the arson officer, uh, why did you write him a ticket? And the ar- arson officer said, because it was a serious offense. It was serious. I wanted him to know how serious it was. And my hope was that he wouldn't do something like that again. And then so the judge looked at him and said, well, perhaps it was serious before he lit the fire. And this is the issue that we're talking about here. A lot of people are struggling with this, this problem of seriousness or this problem with uh, uh, loneliness. What this person was, this person was lonely, was willing to go through great lengths to get someone else to come and touch him. There are stories of people who get haircuts weekly, and you think they're getting them to groom themselves and all that, but really they just want someone to touch them. That's the only chance that they get for someone to actually speak with them and to touch them and to talk to them. This is what people are missing. This is what people are desperate for. There's a world out there of people who are hurt, who are setting fires to things in their lives. And it's easy to look at them and to say, why would you do something like that? Why would you do that? When truthfully, all they're seeking is unity. All they're seeking is fellowship. All they're seeking is someone to touch and to care for them. My question for you is, is can this be a church where people can come to and feel what they are so desperately lacking on the outside? This is what Paul is talking about. So Paul is, he's writing here, and Paul is a great writer. If you, if you, he's, he's a uh, easy writer to follow, but he's a hard writer to follow. Peter says in First Peter, I believe the third chapter, that Paul writes things that are very hard to understand sometimes. But on the flip side, Paul is very easy to understand because he's very methodical in how he writes what he says. The Apostle Paul writes all the, like, the, the letters in the New Testament. Amen. And you see like the Corinthians and the Ephesians. Paul writes that. But what he does is he has a great pattern for which he writes. If you read Paul, Paul will tell you first kind of what you have. He's going to tell you what you have. He's going to tell you how blessed you are in God, how awesome it is. He's, the Ephesians, the second chapter, I want to give you just an example, right? The, the first half of anything Paul writes is kind of what you have. And then the second half is always what you should do because what you have. That's how Paul writes. It's really easy to follow. So, for example, in Ephesians, the second chapter, um, one in Christ, verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. Do you remember when we were separated from Christ? Some of us were born saved, amen, but the rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us, so at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, In Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Basically, Paul is saying God has saved us, right? He saved us. He's blessed us with riches. He's given us all that we need in him. My question for you really quickly before we move to the next part is, are you fully aware of what you have in Christ? Are you truly fully aware? Everything that you need, you already have. It's just a matter of accessing it through the gospel, accessing it through his word, accessing it through relationship with him. So Paul starts in Ephesians 1 through 3 telling us what we have. Amen. He tells us what we have. So Ephesians 4, so where we're at today is the beginning of what you should do. (laughs) Paul says, you got this. Here's what you do. I want you to walk in a manner worthy is what he says here. I urge you, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Let me tell you what worthy is. Everyone say worthy. Worthy is this uh, worth to walk in the worth of which you have been given. So imagine there being scales, right? 
On one side of the scale, God has placed all of the blessings that he has for you. He's placed your salvation. He's placed your riches. He's placed your peace. He's placed all those things on one half of the scale. You have it all. Paul is saying the other half should be balanced by the way you walk that out. Are you following me? Walk worthy. Walk with the same weight of the promises and the blessings that you have received. But honestly, too many of our churches are split on either side. So you get Paul, you, so we have some Ephesians 1 through 3 Christians, the ones that uh, want to know all the deep things about Christ, right? Give me the deep words. Give me the deep, uh, the deep theological terms. Give me all the great stuff. Yes, don't worry about Ephesians 4 through 6. Who cares about walking that stuff out? As long as I know all the deep stuff, as long as I know, as long as I can have deep theological discussions around the, the coffee table around at, at, at Sunday school. Those are the people that are heavy on, on, on the input. They want things in. And then there are people who are heavy on the output. They're the Ephesians 4 through 6 people. They could care less about all the deep theological stuff. What does it mean? They're all about the experience. These are people, you can leave that preaching stuff to the side. We just want to go out and love people. What Paul is saying is that there has to be balance. Are you with me? He says to walk worthy. Here he is. He says, walk worthy. How do we live worthy? I want you to live in a place where you're worthy, a place where your life has balance. How many of us need balance in our lives? When I say balance, I mean balance in not just the scales between what God has given us and how we walk that out, but balance in how we live out what God has provided for us. Balance means when something happens to us, some of us don't have balance. And you can, just, you can see if you don't have balance because when we don't have balance, all it takes is something so small to happen to us and it totally tips us off the scale. It can be an unexpected bill that comes in and all of a sudden we're freaking out about life. Does God even love us? It can be an unexpected activity of a loved one or a child or something like that. And all of a sudden, we're trying to figure out if we're still guys. We're thrown off. I need balance. I need the balance that says all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. That's balance. Balance says when stuff happens, I know that God is there. Balance says when I don't know if I have enough food in my refrigerator, I don't know if I have enough money to pay these bills, I'm not really sure if my life can continue because I'm struggling just to make ends meet. Balance says, I know the word says, for I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Balance says, when stuff happens, I know how to apply scripture to my life. There is balance in my life. This is what Paul is talking about. There's also balance in the form of uh, my, 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 I would say my good friend, but I, I wish I knew him, but he's a great guy. Monty Williams. He's the assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He just lost his wife. He lost his wife, and it was a terrible, I believe it was a car accident. It was something very um, unexpected. And he's at the funeral, and he, he's preaching the gospel to everyone at the funeral, all the NBA players and everybody's there. And what he says to them is he says, listen, I appreciate you all telling me sorry for your loss. He says, but you can't lose things when you know where they are. He said, my wife is with Jesus right now. And let me tell you, let me tell you about him so that you can be where she is when you leave this place. That's balance. Something so heavy happens to us and all of a sudden we are, we, are, we are balanced by the word of God. This is what Paul is trying to get us to do, to live in balance. Why does he want us to live in balance? So the people out there who need to be touched can stop lighting fires in their lives and walk into a place like the village church and feel the touch and feel the love and feel the community that they need. Are you following me? So how do we get that? How, how, how do we get that? Paul is, 
He's kicking us off in verse 1 by telling us to walk worthy of our calling. I want you to walk worthy of this. This is what he says. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How do we do that? It starts with humility. Everyone say humility. It starts with humility. Our world is broken. Our world is cold. Our world is fragmented. You all know this. It seems like we've been more divided now than ever before in my lifetime. I'm not really sure about you. Know, some of you may have remembered even time before, before then. But this world is so desperately broken, so desperate for connection. Paul is saying, how do we work, walk worthy? It starts with, here's verse 2. It starts with what? With all what? Humility. We need to be united. Why? Because remember in, in chapter 2 he says we've been saved. <laughs> we've been brought near. <laughs> Listen, what unites us all together is the fact that Jesus Christ hung, bled, and died for all of us. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever. He died for all of us. That should be the, united, the uniting factor in our lives. Why, do we, why are we all saved by the same grace of God, yet we come into church and we're not unified? How can we all say that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and God has saved us by his grace and he has saved us by this, but yet our churches are so fragmented and divided as not, if not more divided than the world? Paul says it starts with humility. What, what is humility? Humility is it's just, it's, 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 it's difficult for us because as, as Americans, can I just say those of us that are culturally Americans, we're, we're taught to be about us, right? Humility, get out of here. I'm all this and I'm all that. Look at all the letters I have after my name. <laughs> Why should I be humble? Get on my level. <laughs> this is our culture. But Paul says we're inverted. They can't feel the love. They can't put down the matches to stop setting fires in their own lives when they walk into a place where we are as broken and fragmented as the world. He says we need to be inverted from what the world feels. They preach about being arrogant and all that stuff. We need to be turned around to being humble. How's it humble? It means I may have to step down. I may have to have conversations with people. I may have to love people that the world doesn't see as lovable. So what he says, it starts with humility. It's hard for us to be humble, though, because most of us have an issue with pride, yes? Just me? Okay. Two people. Thank you. God bless you. I don't have a problem with pride. <laughs> most of us have an, have an issue. Our pride gets hurt very easily, especially in church. Come on, right? You love God, but let someone sit in your seat when you walk in here, right? Let someone park in your parking spot. Let someone walk by you and you think that they ignored you. Oh, heaven help, you know. We feel, we feel hurt, and all of a sudden the peace that we have in God is, 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 is offended. It's so hard to maintain humility because we have an issue with pride. That's what Paul says in Philippians, the second chapter, verse 3, and this was up there earlier. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But how do we do this? We, in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. You have to start thinking that way. Here, here's, here's what Paul says. Paul is, not, uh, Paul is not saying something that he wants you just to do that he hasn't done. I shared this early in the, in the early service that uh, I can just be honest with you guys because I'm, I'm black. I don't know if you noticed that, um, but I'm black. Amen. Um, and we, we, we grew up, uh, I don't know if you had this issue in your household, but there was a saying, if you grew up African-American, there's a saying that all, it seems like all of our parents said this. Um, they would say, do as I say and not as I do. You ever heard that before? It was so frustrating. My mom was like, boy, do as I say, not as I do. And something about that was frustrating me. I could Now, you're not going to question mama. I'm not saying. <laughs> Great consequences for that. 
But it was something about it that frustrated me. What I love about it is Paul is not saying that. Paul is not saying do as I say, not as I do. Paul is saying do as I have done. When Paul talks about humility, he's talking from a place where he knows what it is. He's, he's been humble. He's been there. Here, let, me, let me give you some examples. 55 AD, Paul writes 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 9. I want you to walk with me here to see, to see this. In 55 AD, Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15 and 9. 1 Corinthians, amen. He says, for I am the least of the who? Apostles. Everybody say apostles. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's humble, right? I'm the least of the apostles, right? Okay, six years later, 61 AD, he writes Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 8, where he says, For to me, he says, I am the very least of all saints. This grace was given here as the least of all saints to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ. You see, now first he was the least of all the apostles, right? And now all of a sudden he's growing. And he's realizing he's now the least of all the saints. You see how he grows in humility? And as, as you're growing in humility, you see, you, you see yourself truly as God saw you. You, you, you become more. And then and let me kick it off at the end here. Here, four years after that, he writes here in uh, about 65 AD, he writes 1 Timothy 1 and 15. He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Paul goes from... You see how his, his humble track is going lower and lower and lower? What I'm saying is as you grow in God, you also grow in humility. So if we're going to be a unified church, a church where people can come and feel the touch that they so desperately are reaching out for out there. It needs to start with us growing in humility, seeing ourselves as less and less and less than the world wants us to puff ourselves up to be. Not that you are nothing, but everything that we are is because of Christ. That's humility. Then he says here, the second thing he says here, this is, everybody says, uh, everybody say, say gentleness. He moves from humility to gentleness. Uh, with all humility and gentleness. So here's the problem with, with gentleness, right? So most translations, anybody have a Bible that says meekness right there? Just me? Okay. Some translations say meekness. We don't like to use the word meekness in our culture, right? Because we say meekness is weakness, <laughs> Or we say, don't confuse my meekness for my weakness, right? So we don't want to do that. So you see this because some people people will say, oh, that happened to you and you didn't, you should have went off. (laughs) I'm glad that didn't happen to me because if it was me, meekness says, no, I want to be gentle. Why do I want to be gentle? I could do what I want. Why? Because Christ could have, but he didn't. God could have sent us away in an awful wrath, right? But he didn't. He withheld his power. He withheld what he could have given us. Have you ever heard of the story of mice and men? Lenny and George? It's one of my favorite stories. I I hope not to spoil it for you if you haven't heard of the story, but if you haven't, just just go on Facebook or something right now. Don't listen to me. Um, Lenny. Lenny was... Really big guy, right? Really strong. He wasn't mentally there all, all, all the way. He wasn't there, and, and he, he wasn't able to be gentle. And his, his strength and his, and his unab- and inability to be gentle, he broke 
many necks of animals and just he would try to be nice to animals and pet them and before you know it accidentally because he was so big and strong that he would almost to a point where he was so used to breaking things because of his lack of the ability to be gentle when we say be gentle what we're telling people is to use less of the strength that you have you understand that paul is saying we have to be gentle so Lenny would, Lenny would, would unfortunately, would, would, would so many animals, he, and it got to a point where he, he eventually accidentally broke the neck of the, of the owner, the, the, uh, the, the, the ranch owner's daughter. Got to a point where he actually ended up murdering by accident. It wasn't intentional. He just, he, she was screaming. He was, he was trying to say, no, don't scream. And so, and, and, and what I'm saying is that this is what we do as Christians when we are not gentle. How many new believers, how many people who are broken walk into churches and because we lack gentleness, we kill them? Because we lack gentleness, because we lack empathy. This is, this is what Paul is saying. We need gentleness. That there's things that you could do, but don't do them because there's things that God could have done that he didn't. And that should be the root of our gentleness. So he says patience. He says humility. He says gentleness uh, with humility and gentleness. And then he says patience. Everybody say patience. Anybody need more patience in here? Amen. I was telling, uh, he's not here. My wife is here this morning, but I have a 15-year-old son. And if you have a teenager, you need patience. Amen. (laughs) I know you guys don't know what that is because you guys guys have never been teenagers. You never made your parents mad before, but... um, Pray for me for patience. But there's, there's, a story, and, and there's a story where a pastor uh, was, was approached by a young man in the congregation who says, Pastor, I need patience. And the pastor says, sure, let's, let's pray. Let's pray for patience. And surely he gets down on his knees. And all of a sudden the pastor says, Lord, send great tribulation into the life of this individual. Lord, send situation. Lord, send struggle. Send pain in his life, Lord. And the young man says, whoa, 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 Pat, whoa, 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 stop, stop. I didn't ask for that. I asked for, for patience. And then the preacher tells him, did you read, read Romans, the fifth chapter, verse three, where Paul says it's through tribulation that we get patience. It's through trials that patience comes. What that means is if we're going to be unified as a church that believes, we have to go through something together and love each other at the other end of it. I'm not talking about a fake unity. There are a lot of churches that have fake unity. It's all on the surface. It all looks good and it's all beautiful, but it's not authentic because the church hasn't gone through anything and gone and come back on the other side victorious. It's kind of like uh, when I meet a married couple, my wife and I, it's my beautiful. Baby, can you raise your hand? That's the, I love that woman. She's patient with me. You, you, oh, oh, oh thank you, Jesus. Um, hey, man, <laughs> I love you, baby. I really do. Um, but there are times when my wife and I, when we were younger uh, in our marriage, we've been married for almost 11 years now. You can clap for that. Can you clap this? In, in other words, she's been putting up with me for <laughs> almost 11 years now. But um, when we were, we, were, we were younger, we were actually discouraged once. by we, we had connected with a couple, and they, they said, you know, we, we were talking, it was, I believe it was a marriage conference, and this one couple just happened to be so happy. And they were like, yeah, we've been married for 10 or 50, something like that. I forget the exact years they were married. They said, we never argue. We just have such peace in our marriage. I didn't know how to respond to it. Then I knew something was wrong with it, right? <laughs> but now I know that's not real unity. That's not real. You, somebody's not getting their way. <laughs> There's no one in the world. You guys are not arguing. <laughs> I mean, amen. Right. But the, truth, the, the issue is that that's not true unity. Are you with me? 
Same thing as when it comes to church. I tell people who come to our church all the time, I truthfully don't trust my ability to pastor you until we've gone through something together and you still came back the next Sunday. That's when I know it's real. (laughs) I'm not going to intentionally make you mad. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But when you're dating, you know, you're dating somebody or something like that, it's like everything's going well. You know, you get that first issue. It's if you can recover from that is where the relationship begins. Paul is saying patience happens in a church where we can not only go through things together, but we can grow through things together. This is where we get patience. Now, looking around here, I know you're, you're running to somebody who may say something that you don't like, who may offend you some kind of way. But my question for you is, are you being patient with them? Are you seeking God's gift and his, his, his ability, his Holy Spirit to come into your life and give you strength to be patient? Amen? So he says here, okay, with all humility and patience, bearing with one another. This means that we're bearing, we're loving with one another in love. We can't, I, I, I said this earlier, church unity does not begin with structure. It begins with the attitudes of the heart. The leaders here, Pastor Dan and all them, they can set up all the type of stuff in the world that they can set up to try to facilitate a lot of things, but they cannot facilitate unity. That has to be something that begins on the hearts of all of us in here. The world is desperate. Do you understand? The world is struggling. The world is desperate for a place where they can come and they can feel safe and they can feel loved and they can feel honored and they can be, they can be pure before you. They can, they can share themselves before you. They're desperate for that. And this has to be a place of unity where that can be welcomed. So he says, here we go. There is one body. How do we get this here? This is, there is, there's one body. I, I love it. Because the issue that we have here is Division. Have you ever talked to somebody? You, you, listen, to, listen to your conversations as you progress. I just want you to just listen to your conversations because here, here's what we do. We, instead of unity, our, our bent is toward division. Our culture is more divided now than it has ever been in my lifetime. I don't know about yours. But this is a, one of the most divided places that you could possibly be. I mean, and we're always, we're bent towards division. When we talk to somebody, you walk up to somebody and say, Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, where are you from? Where are you from? I'm from, you know. Hamden. Well, I'm from, you know, I don't know, Park Heights. You start to think, hmm, which is better? (laughs) Well, what if you're from the same place? I'm from Hamden. Yeah, I'm from Hamden too. What part? South Hamden. Oh, I'm from North Hamden. You start to find things that are different, right? Paul said we should be unified. We should find things that are, that that make us one. And what makes us one? The The fact that we're all saved by the same cross of Christ. This is what makes us one because we are one body. Everybody say body. This is one body. We're, we, this, is, this is a metaphor for the church. The, the church, the Bible uses the body as a metaphor. The body is not, we're an organism, we're not an organization. That's a difference. An organization is just random things put together that make sense after a while. My son who's here, my, 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 my little one is here. He's, um, he plays with wrestling figurines, right? Anybody got any kids that play with wrestling or, you know, the WWE or F or whatever? When I was growing up, it was F. I don't know what it is. But anyway. Uh, he, he walked in and he says, dad, let's play. And so he brings him downstairs to the table and we're playing. And I noticed that my son has taken the legs off of one of them and reattached the leg of a shorter one on a longer one. So you get this tall torso wrestler with legs that are like very short. <laughs> that, that's an organization of things, right? where you can pick something off and pluck something on. But an organism, you can't do that. A lot of people see church as an organization, as a place that you can go. 
instead of seeing it as a place where we grow together. If we're growing together, I need you. You are my leg. You are the arm. You are the foot. You are this. You can't just pluck yourself off and just kind of fly somewhere else. We are one body. This is what Paul is talking about. The unity has to start with our understanding of church as an organism. organism. Are you with me? You can't just pluck yourself off. You can't just say, you know what? I kind of go to the village church. First Sunday is village church Sundays. Second Sundays is something else. Third Sundays, I stay home and watch church on TV. That's an organization. If you're an organism, you see yourself as someone who can go and be a part of the body of Christ. This is, this is the issue here. This is what's going on. So first, how do we get to this place? How do we get to this place? We're uniting the body of Christ. This is the metaphor for the church. Let me give you your, your three points because this is a three-point church. Amen. Does Pastor Dan give three points? Yeah, okay. All right. how, how do we get this? How do we get this? We, get, we, 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 we see, first of all, we see the Holy Spirit going to work, bringing the unity for us. We understand that this happens first by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, there is one body and one spirit. Everybody say spirit. There is one body and one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the unity. Isn't that freeing for us that we don't have to force unity? If you force it, it's fake, and people on the outside can see that. It's brought by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's unity that's it's bound, us, bound us by the Holy Spirit. The second way that we do this, the second way that we get this, I, I love this. It's not just uh, the spirit that does that, but, but here, it's not, it's not just spirit, it's Christ. Everybody say Christ. For be here, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. Here we are, five. One Lord, that's Christ. One faith and one baptism. One God and one Father of all, but I'll get there. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Have you ever gone to a football game, an NFL? Anybody ever gone to an NFL football game before? A Ravens game? Good. No? Anybody here rich enough to go to an actual game during the regular season? Not me? Okay, good. Um, I went to one Ravens game, and it was the preseason, and we had found some tickets somewhere. Um, preseason, you go, you just see, like, the first two plays are, like, the team, and then they just, all these people you never heard of trying to make the team, right? Um, but what I noticed about the football game when I was there is that everybody was unified. I mean, there were people that were unified across all sorts of barriers that would have otherwise divided them. They were rich, they were poor, they were black, they were white, they were Asian, they were Hispanic, they were tall, they were short. There were all sorts of different things that could have divided them. But for that moment, it was all disappearing because at that point, they were all rooting for the same team. We have a better team to root for. We have God, our Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's a greater team. That should unify us much more than a football game unifies fans. This is where that unity begins. Are you following me? He says here, this is, this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this, 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 this unity, this one, one faith, this, this, this faith, one Lord. Everybody say Lord. Say so one Lord. This is, this is one Lord. It, it, not just one faith, but one Lord. Look, our experience with God may be different, but we still serve the same Lord. Right? Look, in, John, look, in Mark, Mark 8 and John 9, there are two examples of Jesus healing people. Who were blind. Now I want, you, I want you to get this. Mark 8, he healed a person that was blind. John 9, he healed a person that was blind. Did anybody know the difference between the two stories? One of them, he spit. He spit in some mud and wiped it on his eye. Those are the two differences. Now imagine them getting together to talk about how Jesus heals blind people. One person says... 
Oh, man, this is great. Jesus just touched my eye and I was healed. And the other person says, that's not how Jesus works. Jesus spits in mud and he wipes it on an eye. That's how Jesus heals. And the other guy says, no, he didn't spit. He just, he just, he just touched. And the other guy starts to look at him and says, you know what? I'm starting to question or not whether you can even see at this point. As a matter of fact, let's just go our own separate ways. Let's start our own churches. You're going to be the Spittite church. <laughs> and we're the anti-spit church. <laughs> let's just separate. This is the issue with church. We don't understand that we're one Lord and we divide not by the fact that we serve the same Lord, but we divide by our experiences. I don't want to lift my hands when it's time to worship. If you want to lift your hands, go to that church over there. We find all sorts of reasons to divide. What Paul is saying is that we've, it's one Lord. Our experiences may be different, but it's one Lord that we serve. Then he also says one baptism. It's funny that Paul says baptism. <laughs> you baptize, uh, you infant baptism? <laughs> Immersion? <laughs> Paul uses a term that divides the church. He says baptism. If that's not the one thing that has divided the church over time. But what does he mean by baptism? He's talking about identification with Christ. It's one Lord, one faith, and we are identified together with Christ. So first we see the Holy Spirit going to work. Second, we see Christ going to work and ministering for our unity. And then the third in verse 6, one God and Father of all. Everybody say we're family. Now my sister is not here. I enjoy talking about people when they're not around. So I will tell you, my sister, we had a thing growing up. I'm five years older than my sister, right? And this is this one father thing. We're, we're five, I'm five years older than my sister. Whenever I made my sister mad, the way that she fired back at me is she would say, you are not my brother anymore. And I would say it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I'm glad I made you mad, but you just can't disbrother me. You can't do that. This is the same thing kind of that happens in church. It doesn't matter what we deal with or what we struggle with or what issues we have with each other. We are always still going to be one family, and that's the unity that we need to maintain. Paul says be eager to maintain the unity of peace. How many more people have to set fires in their lives just to get somebody to love them and touch them before a church like the Village Church stands up and says, you don't have to do that. What you're seeking, we have here. Come with your brokenness. Come with your struggles. Come with your challenges. We will love you. We will hold you. We will, we will, we will cover you in grace. We will cover you in love. How many more people have to do that before a church like the Village stands up and says, you don't have to do that anymore? This is what Paul is talking about. He says, I want you to walk worthy. You have already been given unity. You have already been. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if this place was a place people who are broken can come to and find touch? A place where people won't look at them funny. A place where it's diverse and unified. Why? Because they're walking in humility. We're walking in patience. We're bearing with one another love. You can sit in my seat this Sunday. Just don't do it next Sunday. Amen. (laughs) All right. Wouldn't it be a great thing if we can do this? If If we become peace makers, if we become peace keepers, if we become those that are eager to maintain the bond, the bond of unity and peace. I want you to think about this. Why did God create us in the first place? Why did God even create us in the first place? The answer is very simple, but it was already a community before. Do you understand that? It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were, it was so good. They wanted us to taste of it. 
So that unity is what God is already clamoring for in our lives. He's telling us, this is, I've already given it to you. I want you to feel the unity. So I create humans, and then I bring them into the unity, the fold of unity here. So this is what people are longing for, and he's given you the power to do it, to reflect what he has already provided for us. Let's stand. Let's stand. We must walk worthy. The weight at which we walk must match the weight of the blessings that God has already given us. The good news is we shared it's the the Holy Spirit at work, it's Christ at work, and it's the Father at work. We don't have to manufacture unity. We don't have to manufacture anything. All we have to do is walk in what God has already promised us. There are too many people out there lighting their lives on fire, struggling with things just to find someone who will care for them. We're supposed to be the solution. We're supposed to be the answer. And I believe that the village is well on its way. But my question for you, my challenge for you is be honest with yourself. How many times have we actually impeded the unity of the church? How many times have we so easily been offended by something that happened in church? How many times have we so easily been offended because someone walked past us and didn't say hello or didn't say hello the way we wanted them to say hello? Or, or, or how, many, how often is it that, that, we, that we see ourselves as being a part of a machine and not a part of a body? This is what happens when, we, when we're not in a, in a fellowship where we're growing together. It's not, it, it becomes a parasitic relationship. I shared this morning that there's a difference between a symbiotic relationship, right, where both are kind of growing together and a parasitic relationship. The parasitic relationship breaks down. What one source is gaining, the other source is not. This happens in church when we see ourselves as parasites. We get to church and we're like, sing to me. Read the Bible. Preach to me. I don't really care about being messy in people's lives. I don't care about loving people, hugging people, and praying for them and loving them. I don't care about that. I come here to be sung to. I come here to be preached to. Pray for me. This is not what God has called us to. He's called us to unity. Why? Because people need what we have. He, we, they need what God has already given us. My challenge for you in the village church is that you become the answer to the desperation that exists on your streets right out here. This should be a church where people can come and feel love. Don't you want that to be this place? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have called us to peace. Thank you, God, that you have called us to be a place where people who are broken and far from you can come and feel love. A place of diversity, a place where people can come together across all kinds of lines, lines that the world says should divide us, we have broken in this place of unity. I pray, Father God, that you would strengthen this church, the village church, God. Let this be a place where people can come no longer harboring fires in their lives, no longer having to do desperate things just to have someone care about them, but a place where they can go, God, and be loved and be cared for. Let this be a place of unity, Father. I pray even now, God, that you would forgive us. Forgive us, God, for anything that we have done, either knowingly or unknowingly, to break the bond of peace in our own church, God. Forgive us, God, for thinking so much about ourselves, thinking way too much about ourselves and not enough about the cross. Forgive us, Father God, for anything that we've done that has broken the unity, but, Father God, heal us so that we can be one in you and one with each other. God, send us your Holy Spirit. Send us your Holy Spirit, God. We thank you, God, and we honor you.
for this and so many other things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.